clap of praise tonight. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. We're thankful again, as we've already said, for uh, God allowing us to be here tonight. And uh, we want to, as of right now, welcome those that are watching by live stream. And um, we always we always usually have twice as many, sometimes better than that, of people watching through the Internet than we have here. Um, and so we welcome you that are watching. Uh, we know we have people come in uh, from Arkansas, Kentucky, uh, and different places, and um, we uh, are thankful for you tuning tuning in. I know um, I know when the Sister Mary's not able to be here. I know she tunes in because I see her uh, make the comments um, you know, while she's on, and so uh, um, we thank God uh, for that ability. Amen, that we can uh, uh, do that, and if we can be a blessing to somebody, we want to uh, to do so. <clears throat> We're going to get right into the Word tonight, and um, you pray uh, pray for me as I attempt to minister the Word of God, and you know, people that we care about and that we love, uh, we like to... Um, um, we like to do things, enjoy doing things for them that we know they like. Amen, is that true? Um, I mean, so it don't have to be a whole lot. But sometimes the little things that we do uh, adds up to be a whole lot. Now, uh, I'm being married to Sister Darlene as long as I have, I know some of the things that she uh, that she likes. And um, sometimes when I'm headed home, um, I'll um, I'll stop at the uh, store and I'll bring her a nice cold glass bottle. Now, I don't know if you've really noticed it, but but things that you get out of glass taste much better than out of the plastic. Amen. I mean, I um, yeah, that's just the truth. And, uh, you know, I think about it. It seems like nothing nowadays tastes like as good as it used to years ago. And um, we uh, we could go back to some of them things. This, these pl this plastic, by the way, is really polluting our world anyway. Um, they bury that stuff in the landfills, and they don't never disintegrate or go away. It's there. But anyway, I'm, uh, I'll stop sometimes. I get her a nice glass bottle of uh, Orange Crush, take it home to her. Uh, sometimes I'll get a, uh, just a, a small bottle of um, uh, chocolate milk, and I get her a Bavarian cream uh, donut, um, something like that. Things that I know she enjoys and, um, and like. And, uh, uh, you know, when we care for somebody, we do things like that. And um, if you know, if you know that there's something that God desires, would not you attempt to try to obtain that for him? Amen. 
when I think about everything God's done for me, amen, there are times that I want to do things for him just to show my love so it's more than just what I say. Talk is cheap. Everybody knows that. Um, But when you put those words into action, you know, it means so much more. So I study the Word, and I try to do things that I know God desires. And I'm going to preach tonight about something that, <laughs> and I thought uh, <laughs> Brother Kyle was going to, and he did, he got all over my message. Because the scriptures he was talking about is what we're going to be using for a text tonight. But there's something in these scriptures, after all of these years, I was somewhere else visiting another church in a special meeting not long ago, and um, this scripture, part of it was being read, and when they read this one part that I'm going to use as a text, man, something shot out of the Bible and just hit me like an arrow. I said, wow, I've never seen that before. I'd never, and, and it lets me know, uh, it lets me know, Brother Bobby, that I don't know as much about the Bible as I think I do sometimes. God's Word is so great, there's so many jewels in there, Brother Kyle, that I don't think nobody will ever uncover all the jewels in the Word of God. Hallelujah. So we're going to go to the book of Luke, the 14th chapter, and um um, verse uh, 16 through uh, 24. Luke 14, 16 through 24. Hallelujah. Amen. Anybody going to be able to get off tomorrow for a holiday? You got, you're going to have to work, Sister Kathy, anyway? Well, I want you all to know, I've seen Sister Linda's hand go up. So we all going to meet at her house for breakfast. (laughs) All right, let's read the scriptures. Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in uh, hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is still room. Now notice 
But let me, before I read all of this, he went out one time and he brought some in. But the man who made the feast was not ready to serve yet. But he sent him out again. Sent him out again. Um, and the Lord said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges. This is a scripture that Brother Kyle was talking about. And compel them to come in, that my house might be filled. For I say to you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now I want to read for a text before you sit down. Go back to verse 23. Luke 14 and 23. And this is what came out to me. I've used this text many times, talked about it, I've heard it many times, but there's something that caught my attention that never had caught my attention before. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Now, I'm not going to be talking about that compel and, and, and all of that as brother Kyle was talking about because I have done that. I've preached on that before. But this is a part I'm going to be talking about that my house may be filled. That my house may be filled. I want from that text preach a sermon tonight in a subject titled God Desires a Full House. Lord, as we come tonight, I'm asking you to speak to our hearts. Let us, let us feel after what you feel after. Let us want what you want. Let us desire what you desire, that we may live our lives in compliance to your will, not our will. In Jesus' name, let everybody say, God bless you. You may be seated. <coughs> Hallelujah. God desires a full house. As many times as I've read this parable, I've taught from it, I've preached from it, I've never dealt with that aspect, that one little part. God desires a full house. He told them, you go out, Keep bringing them in. You compel them to come in that my house may be full. Now, this man went to a lot of expense, time and trouble to put together something grand and glorious that he wanted people to partake of. And he was not about to waste that time and that trouble and everything he done, he wanted to make sure that the house was filled. Now, we all know this is a parable. And the parable of the man who made the great supper was spoken by Christ to warn the Jewish nation. Um, as we look at this, and uh, this is what the parable uh, originally was all about. It was a warning to the Jewish nation 
that God was no longer going to plead with Israel to come and receive the blessing which for thousands of years was reserved primarily to them. Amen. For thousands of years. But this parable, he was letting them know that he was going to reach out into the highways and the hedges to invite anyone of any tongue or nationality to come. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He was, that's what it was about. See, the ones that he, and he told them, he said, those who were first bidden to my, my feast and, and this supper, they're not going to be able to take part in it. The Jewish people was the first one who had the opportunity Amen. And God pleaded with them for years upon years. Hallelujah. To come and take part. But they kept rejecting him. And kept rejecting him. Finally, Jesus Christ came. And when he came, he made a way. Amen. Praise the Lord for all mankind, no matter what your nationality or what your tongue is. Amen. And they came. Hallelujah. The reason for this outreach to all nations was that his house may be filled. Now, I hope and pray that you get a hold of what is stirring my heart and my spirit tonight. God has prepared some great things for his spiritual dinner, and he desires his house to be filled. This man who made this feast as I said, he went to a lot of trouble and expense. And the ones that he bid, they was making excuses. That's the way the Jewish nation did. They was always making excuses. Amen. So he sent them out, brought them in, that his house may be full. Now, let's talk about this on the spiritual side. Look at what God has got available for his, for his church. First of all, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you realize what we have in the church of Jesus Christ? Do, can't you imagine? Hallelujah. Amen. Everything God has equipped us with. Amen. Salvation healing, deliverance, great blessings. It goes on and on and on and on. And God has prepared that for us, and he desires his house to be full so everybody can partake of those blessings. Give the Lord a hand clap on that. <coughs> this message tonight, I'm not going to talk about the Jews and Gentiles or the other part of this uh, uh, parable, but rather I'm going to talk about the house of God and how he desires it to be full. God wants his house full. Hallelujah. You say, well, are you talking about it's about numbers? It's not about numbers, it's about souls. Hallelujah. Everybody that sits on the pew of a church is a soul. Hallelujah. So we're not, we're not trying to build, uh, build numbers. We're just interested in souls. Can somebody say amen? When you consider the crisis going on in the society today, 
drugs, violence, dissipating morality in this and other nations as well. We got to view it as linked with the decline of people who are loyal to the house of God. Amen. Stop and think about it. Think about it. We can go back. I can go back in my lifetime. When I can remember it being far different than it is right now. Amen. What has changed? I mean, you always got the people say, well, <coughs> we got to get, get, get rid of the guns. Only the criminals will be the ones that have them when they do that. <coughs> that and that's, that's, that's for sure. The last school I went to was White House High School. I mean, that was back in the early 70s. And I've seen different posts about this made recently, but I'm going to tell you something. I know it's the truth because I was there and I experienced it. I went to White House High School, and that right there was just a little old uh, hole-in-the-wall place White House was at the time. My Lord, uh, I, tell you, I tell you how country it was back then. <laughs> the principal of the high school was mayor of the town. Amen, that's our country it was. So I can tell you, honestly, hey, that this, this backside back here, this ruin, has been whooped by a mayor. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, there was one time that while I was going there, I was sent to the principal's office, and he pulled out that paddle, big old thick thing with them holes drilled in it, and he told me to lean across that desk, put my hands right there, and the mayor of that town whooped my backside for something I did in the classroom. And by the way, if they hadn't, people talk about prayer. Prayer's not the only thing they messed up on when they took out of the school. When they took the paddle out of the school, they messed up also. Hallelujah. It's the truth anyhow. But in those days, when guys got up and got a little bit bigger and was able to drive, There'd be four or five guys sometimes to come in driving the dad's old pickup truck, and every pickup truck in the lock uh, had at least one, sometimes two guns hung across the back glass. And we would get out there during the break times and recess times, and they would uh, get out there and they'd pull them guns out of there, and they'd be looking at them and examining them and uh, look them over and telling them the difference of them. Amen. I mean, like, like it was nothing. And sometimes, amen, when you got school-age boys there, teenage boys, sometimes a fight would break out, fist fight. Amen. Scuffle a little bit in the dirt, get over with you, get up. Nobody ever thought about taking a weapon and killing somebody with it. What is the difference between then and now? What is that difference? It's not, it's not the weapon, but when you consider the crisis that's going on, and from that time to this, as morality has been dropping away, and things are getting rougher and rougher, and more things going, all this same time period, the church has been in decline. Hallelujah. The church has been in decline. Back in the same days, I remember well, 
having revivals for two or three weeks at a time. Two or three weeks at a time. The revival that I come into the apostolic faith on down in uh, uh, Columbia, Tennessee, the night I was baptized in Jesus' name, they had been in revival. That was the third week every night. Went on two more weeks after that night I was baptized because we was back every night after that. Hallelujah. I mean, you didn't have a problem getting people to be loyal to the house of God. It was no, it was no problem there. And we got to view this situation in society as linked with the decline of people who are loyal to the house of God and the necessity to attend God's house on a regular basis. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that going to church is what makes you a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. You coming to a church sitting on a pew don't make you no more Christian than me going out here to a garage and sitting in there turns me into a Ford. Hallelujah. That's not what I'm trying to say. But not going to church, I will tell you this, not going to the house of God will eventually over time cause your spiritual man to dry up and wither away. Hallelujah. You want to be more sensitive to the will of God? More sensitive to the Spirit of God? You stay active in the kingdom of God. Going to his house. Taking part, amen, in what God wants to do. Hallelujah. If you cut that out of your life, that spiritual man is slowly withering away. Hallelujah. Now, <coughs> you need the house of God and to be a part of a corporate worship. Amen. You need to be a part of brothers and sisters coming together in unity and love. You need that. And the house of God needs you so we can unite together and complete the mandate to take the whole gospel to the whole world. And beside the fact, God desires a full house. Hallelujah. Let me take some time just to read it. Just, I'm not going to um, go into a, a lengthy thing, but I'm, I'm, I want to give you these statistics that I looked up this afternoon. Uh, a, a recent poll, one poll was made that more than 40% of people in America claim to attend weekly church services. That's what they claim to the pollsters who called them. But further research has indicated that less today, less than 20% of the American public actually attend church on a weekly basis. Think about that. Less than 20% of people who say, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Bible. I believe in God. I love the Lord. Less than 20% of this country actually attend on a regular weekly basis. 
let me step back now, of the millennials, the millennial generation, only 27% of the millennials say they attend religious services at all. Wow. What's going to happen when we're gone and they get to be the age we are now? Between 2007 and 2014, there was a 3.7 decline in weekly church attendance based on Pulsar's Pew uh, report. Meanwhile, the population, though, has increased by over 16 million during the same time frame. I've told you before, I've heard, I've heard Brother Joseph talk about it. And if you ever try to drive the, uh, the traffic in Nashville, you know Nashville is growing by leaps and bounds. They're coming in by the hundreds. Amen. You say, man, there's churches everywhere. But with the population of Nashville and the surrounding area, and we're talking about uh, uh, the suburbs and everything else, right right now, um, there's enough people that every church of every denomination uh, should have over 300,000 in the attendance. That's unreal, ain't it? 300,000 when when a lot of them don't have have 30. Come on. Hallelujah. We need to understand, church, that God desires a full house. God has got something special right here. Hallelujah. God's got something right here you can't get anywhere else. I'm talking about in the world. And I mean, and, and I'm just talking about our church alone, but I'm talking about this, uh, uh, um, any church that preaches the truth. God's got something special there. I want to talk just a little bit, and I'm, I'm not going to hold you long, but number one, I want to talk about a unified corporate body. A unified corporate body. I'm going to tear down some things that some people think <coughs> right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we begin at verse 20, and we're going to read down through 27. <clears throat> but now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our uh, presentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body. Now listen this close. God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks him, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. Can somebody say amen to that? If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Hallelujah. 
<coughs> ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Over the past few years, there has been a growing number of people with what I call a loner mentality. These folks think they are better off alone, and they don't need anyone but me and Jesus. They even sing the song. Some people sing the song, Me and Jesus has got our own thing going. I personally, I ain't never really cared for that song. And I'm going to find out why in just a minute. But I, because I declare to you that if you feel that way, you have been attacked by a deceptive spirit with the intention on fragmenting the body of Christ. If I'm part of the body of Christ and I'm always off going somewhere else when the rest of my body is somewhere praising God, I am guilty of causing fragmentation to the house of God. Do you see that? Hallelujah. Oh, my Lord. Help me, Lord. One person alone, no matter how spiritual they consider themselves, one person alone is not the church or the body of Christ. Now, here's what I told you I'm going to tear down. Well, some people think, well, they say, well, I, you know, I, I'm the church, not you by yourself, you're not. Hallelujah, the scriptures I just read let you know that that's not true. I'm a member of the body of Christ. Come on, somebody. I'm a member. Me alone, I can't say that I'm the body, that I'm the church. I'm a part of the church. I'm a part of the body. I'm a member. This right hand is a member of my body. Hallelujah. And if this right hand gets fragmented or cut off from my body, what's going to happen to this hand? It's going to, it's going to die. It ain't going to survive. This hand right now can move all these fingers. If it gets disconnected from the arm, it ain't going to move no fingers. It ain't going to be, what's that, <laughs> On the old Adams family, there ain't going to be thing coming around. Right. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. It needs the body to survive. I need to be connected to you to survive. Hallelujah. Jesus is the head. Hallelujah. And when we all come together, a unified corporate body, so much can be done in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Amen. One person constitutes one member of the body who needs to be connected to others to form a complete body. You yourself alone is not a complete body of Christ. You've got to be connected with brothers and sisters of like precious faith to constitute the body of Christ. That's why God desires a full house so all the members together can supply power, strength, maturity to one another. I can't tell you the times or the, or the th or conditions, but everybody in this congregation tonight has given strength to me at one time or the other. Hallelujah. There have been times 
somebody's testimony has lifted me up and encouraged me when I was going and being down and out. I'm sure Brother Bobby and Sister Linda uh, will verify this. There were times years ago, going way back, long before I was pastor, Brother Hale was pastor, we'd come to church on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, and man, it would just be kind of drab and dull, nothing going on. You say, well, you know, this is just going to be a dud tonight. But uh, Sister Shelton would stand up, start testifying, and the whole church would wind up shouting, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. I can still see her in my mind's eye standing the way she used to testify. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. We receive strength from one another. We, ex- we, we experience encouragement, amen, from, from one another. So we need to be connected to one another as much as we possibly can. I want them to put up Acts 2 and 1. Like we all could quote it, but put it up there. I want you to notice this now before I move on. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, how many of them was it? How many was that all? 120. All 120 were with one accord. Now we hear that preached a lot, you got to be in one accord. And that's true, we got to be in one accord. We can't have fracture, whatever. But you don't hear this last part stress much. In one place. They were in one accord and in one place. There was 120 out of the 500 that seen Jesus alive those 40 days before he was caught up, done dwindled down to 120. And they was there in the upper room, praying and waiting on the promise of the Father. But when the day of Pentecost fully come, before the fire fell, before the rushing mighty wind, they were all in one accord and in one place. All 120 was in the upper room. And there wasn't Sally Joe over here. I got to stay home. I got some I got some company coming. I got to cook a meal. All members of scripture read up, making with one accord, making excuses. Hallelujah. They wasn't, they wasn't, they wasn't a couple of them down to the restaurant eating bacon and eggs. Come on, somebody. There wasn't some of them just home stretched back in the easy chair getting some rest. They were all in one place. Some of them wasn't this place and that. Some of them wasn't on the other side of Jerusalem. Some of them were outside of Jerusalem. There wasn't some of them in Bethany, amen, or Nazareth. Hallelujah. They were all together in one place. Hallelujah. The Lord struck my spirit about that. There's a necessity for you to come together in one place. Hallelujah. 
And it wasn't until they was together in one accord and in one place when the spirit fell and the rushing mighty wind came in. What are you saying, Brother Sammy? I'm telling you, if you consider yourself a member of the body of Christ, when it's church time, you have an obligation to be there. Or you could be the one. While somebody that is there that needs healing, you might be the reason that person don't get healing. Think about that. There's a lot of things we don't think about sometimes we ought to think about. Hallelujah. Coming together as a unified corporate body. Second part, and I'm gonna, this is going to end it up. Let's talk about a place of meeting. <coughs> a place of meeting. I... I study history. <clears throat> I love history. You know, everybody uh, should know that by now. And much of the Old Testament is history. And if you study it all, you're going to find out something. And this is what you're going to find out. Going all the way through the Old Testament, God has always had a particular place for his people to meet together to worship. Always. Before David founded Jerusalem and Solomon come along and built the temple, before Jerusalem Back in Samuel, the prophet Samuel's day, there was the place called Shiloh that where people came to approach God. They did not. God's people never has had the privilege just to go anywhere they want to to worship God. They couldn't say, well, I'm going to do a sacrifice, but I don't feel like traveling very far. I'm going to just sacrifice in my backyard. We're going, to, we're going to find out some interesting things about that. Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to give you this part. There's many more, I promise you, but I ain't going to cover them all because I don't want to keep you here all night. This is what he said. This is what God uh, told them. He said, you shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of a cow wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be a one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top and its sides, uh, and, all, and all around, um, its sides all around, and its horn with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both sides. You shall place them on the, um, on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles which you bear it. You shall make the poles of a cave of wood, overlay them with gold, and you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony. Um, this right here is talking about the altar of incense. Uh, when God was given an instruction of what to do. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, 
before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. God told Moses and the children of Israel, if you want to meet with me, this is where you got to do it. You can't do it at home. You can't do it at your buddy's house down the road. God says, right here, right here, it's where I will meet with you. Do you know how many of you studied enough about the tabernacle that it, it was not only called the tabernacle of Moses, but it was called the tabernacle of meeting? Hallelujah. It was a place where people met the presence of God. Hallelujah. So as I said, if you take the time to search out, you're going to see that God has always designated a particular place for the people to come in in order to meet with him. When it came time to worship, the people would go to the place that God had designated to be the place of meeting. Hallelujah. If We better get a hold of this. If they made burnt offerings anywhere else, God considered it out of worship. Like I said, before Jerusalem was built, the prophets, and before the kings, while they had the prophets, they had Shiloh. And that's where they met. But then, when the temple was built in Jerusalem, if you was an Israelite, and those people lived all over the land of Israel, when they was ready, and it was time to worship God, they had to make a trip to head to Mount Zion. The people in Nazareth could not have their own meeting place in Nazareth. They could not do their own sacrifices there. God would bring a curse upon them if they did. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Get a hold of it. There's a principle here that God has always had. He said you cannot burn all as sacrifices and offerings nowhere else except where I designate. And when Solomon dedicated the temple, you know what he told him? He said this is the place right here where I will place my name. Hallelujah. Somebody talked about Daniel praying. Maybe it was Friday night at the fellowship meeting. Don't call, but <coughs> they was in Babylon. And Daniel prayed three times a day. But he didn't just pray. He opened his window and he faced toward Jerusalem. That's where he prayed. Jews from all over the world, wherever they may be, but faced toward Jerusalem. That was the place. They knew that was the place. Jews that are still scattered, every year when they celebrate the Passover, and they come together and they still do this, just like the night of the Last Supper for Jesus and disciples. They, they, they do that, go through all that ritual. They don't realize that Jesus has become the final Passover. 
but they come together and they always make this statement next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem, they got a heart's desire that even though situations have drove them out of their homeland and where they, as Jews they belong, they got a burning desire to be at the place that God has chosen. And for the church, for us today, it's the house of God that God has planted us at. We ought to have that same desire, that same loyalty to the house of God so we can understand that God's house, He desires His house to be full. And we, we got, a, we got an opportunity. When I started, I said, if there's somebody you care about, you want to do something that, that you know that they, that they like and that they desire. We as God's people should constantly be, constantly inviting somebody, trying to get them to come. Not, not just solely to increase a number, but you, that you're doing something that God desires. Hallelujah. And that is for his house to be filled. One final scripture, and I'm going to close. Hebrews 10, 25. Some people don't realize that this is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. See, there's always been a few didn't realize the importance of it. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, if you can look around at the world today and you say, well, I don't see no sign whatsoever that Jesus is soon coming. You may have an excuse to lay out of church. Hello, somebody. But if you're looking around and you're one of the many people that's talking, and I hear people in the world, I hear sinners making the statements. We got to do it so much the more. Hallelujah. So, God desires for his house to be full so everybody can partake of the good things that he has. And even though individually we all got the Holy Ghost and we all got, we got the power of God, when we come together and join together in one mind, one accord, and in one place, we form something that the devil and all his angels can't stop. Hallelujah. Amen. We form something he can't stop. Let's all stand together. Praise the Lord. Amen. We thank God for what he, how he moved this morning. and We know different people were touched this morning, but if you've got a need here tonight and need to pray, we'll give you that opportunity before we um, go home and go our separate ways. Hallelujah.